surface with Bob. Welcome, everybody. This is Breakfast with Bob. My name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by the PTO, the Pro Triathletes Organization, by Amp Human, by VeloFix, Normatech, Form Swim Goggles, You Can, and our Challenged Athletes Foundation. We just sent out 3,921 grants totaling. $5.9 million to keep challenged athletes in the game of life through sport. Our next guest, 2016 Ironman 70.3 world champion, Holly Lawrence, joins us from her palatial estate somewhere <laughs> in the Hollywood Hills. How are you doing, Holly? Hollywood Hills, Nilo in Santa Monica. Thanks for having me anyway. <laughs> Growing up, was your main sport swimming, running? What would you grow up with? Um, I pretty much grew up swimming, um, but we would like put into everything growing up. So, um, just keeping things light and fresh and not really like getting sucked into one thing, but like swimming, like I did gymnastics growing up and, um, me, my brother and sister, my sister went gymnastics and me and my brother went swimming. Um, and then that's kind of how I fell into triathlon. So I was doing a bit of cross country running at school and, um, when kind of hit the plateau at swimming that decided to give triathlon a go and do something different. It's funny. I was interviewing Sam Long the other day. I didn't realize he was a triplet. You're a triplet. Really? Yeah. Sam Long is a triplet. And he said what was really cool is all three of them realized that they wanted to be in different sports so that mm. they didn't compete with each other. And so, yeah, so you had one, the sister stayed in gymnastics and you and your brother went to swimming and your brother, what, Olympic trials type of caliber yeah, swimmer? like Olympic trials and everything. Um, I was like the middle child. I was like classical middle child. I wanted to swim with my brother. I wanted to do gymnastics with my sister. My sister was really upset, and I only found this out in later life. My sister was really upset when I wanted to do gymnastics with her because she was like, no, this is my thing, apparently. And swimming, when she used to swim, because we all started doing everything, we all did ballet and everything. Um, but at swimming, at the like little club galas that we used to do, my sister used to bin all of her medals because they were always second to me. And my parents used to fish them out of the bin, but I only found this out later in life. And I was like, oh, Abby, I thought we were doing it together. <laughs> I thought we were friends. What the heck? <laughs> I know. And she was like so turned off competition. I feel like, yeah, she kind of went the other way. And me and my brother were like super competitive the other way, but I was like always in my brother's shadow, but trying to like muscle in on him. Yeah. But then was it your parents who said, hey, maybe this triathlon thing might be good for you because you, you probably got to a certain plateau in swimming and then you also had cross country running. So you had two out of three. Yeah, I can't really remember how it started, but I remember my, I think someone suggested it to my parents and then uh, we like borrowed a bike off a boy um, that it kind of fit me. And um, so I did like a local triathlon and loved it. So that kind of then, you know, spread that thing that I was then doing um, like the local chain gang on my bike when I was like a 16 year old girl with, you know, not even clip-in shoes with like middle-aged men thinking like, you know, just trying to keep up for as long as I can before I got dropped. So when did you realize that you could be good at this? Because it's one thing just riding with some of the middle-aged guys in the neighborhood. Another thing to think, maybe I can go to the Olympics? So I don't think, 
like so the way I was with swimming like I I kind of just grew to learn that like I wasn't ever going to be any good and that was okay like to be okay with it, I just had to be get out of it what I did for myself was and that's like feeding my own times or just being as best as I could be so even in triathlon I didn't really I didn't even get I didn't really get that way and I also saw how it really affected my brother because like he was gonna go to the Olympics went to pentathlon because he got recruited again going to go to the Olympics and then when that didn't happen he like was shattered and you know his whole identity was tied up in it and it was like part of it that like wearing the British kit was like such a big deal for him and my parents whereas to me I was like Ugh, I don't want any of that like I was like totally the opposite because I kind of rebelled against it so when you go to but you ended up going Commonwealth Games 2014 yeah and doing obviously doing well uh, was the goal that at that point to go for 2016 and potentially go to Rio no I mean I only did the Commonwealth Games because I could, because it was like an option. And I knew how it was so important to like, you know, everyone else. Like the Commonwealth meant so much to everyone else and less so to me. And like, it was a pol political nightmare anyway. Like I did, I was there for just the super sprint relay and I, I wasn't allowed to race any other races, like um, non-drafting races that year which I kind of just started dabbling in a little bit, like doing high V, which I loved. Um, so that kind of, the like politics of everything kind of really turned me off. Uh, and it just didn't suit me. Like I was never the fastest runner. It was, it was a game back then, especially like that, it was like a swim runners game that the bike, it was just totally dependent on who was there and how everyone was going to work together. and it just didn't play to my strengths. And whenever I did like a non-drafting race, I just loved it so much more that then after doing Commonwealth Games and, you know, being really kind of dejected, like after it just didn't, it didn't feel good. And I just, I was kind of like, screw it. I want to go non-draft and I want to move to America and it being kind of like a lifestyle thing. And and even then, like, I never thought, like, I would make a career out of it. I was, it was more just like, this is what I love doing. And I'm going to do it as long as I can. And then, like, the fallback is always, I'm going to move in back with mom and dad, and that'll be fine. So back at that time, I think people, because the Olympics for triathlon didn't start to 2000. So people were still trying to figure out what the best route was. If, would you get three athletes who could potentially win? Or do we get a domestique? So mm -hmm. someone like Holly, who's a great swimmer, really good on the bike, and we have her work for the other people who we want to win medals. Mm -hmm. Did you get the feel that that's what the way they were looking at you? Uh, yeah, eventually that's kind of the way it was going. Because like I, like I've told this story a few times, so apologies if you've heard it before. But um, when I was selected for a European Championship race in. It must have been 2013 um, or 14, maybe 13. Um, I, like I was selected by my own merit from doing European Cup races and everything. And um, so I was definitely not there to be a domestic. And 
and I was also trying to jump through hoops to try and get on funding because that was just always the next step because that's just how it worked it was like what's the next step okay what's the next step and during the race like it all was like panning out really well um after the swim I was like in the lead group like starting a breakaway with like Nicholas Spirig and I can't remember the other girl like on cobbles and we like distanced straight away and we're just like working and great like strong biker um and then I was getting shouted at by the British triathlon people on the course telling me to stop um and wait for another girl behind me who and I I just had no idea I didn't know what to do because these were the people like I was also trying to impress like I'm I'm trying to be accepted by these people and and every time it kind of got angrier because like you go through laps and there's other people and it got to the point that I like totally like slowed down rode onto the side of the road to them saying like what do you want me to do and I like stopped waited and it felt like an eternity like spun up to the group but then I ended up just like messing messing with the group that I was in um which just isn't me at all and just like it just was totally like a mess and I ended up having like an average race but I just totally threw my race away to be a domestic which I wasn't there to be and I was like crying in the hotel room afterwards and 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 then obviously like then I was aware afterwards that there's a domestic like pilot program that they were doing at the time um and that's kind of it was like the start of it that just really like turned me off yeah it just didn't suit me that's not what I was there for and I just you're, felt like I didn't have a chance to race for myself you're a competitive person the last thing you want to do is just when you're doing that type of stuff there's too much thinking it's fun just to go off the front right you want you're a racer yeah. you want to go off the front race and it, it but it was just for like uh, there was no, you know, we didn't communicate that beforehand. There was just, it just seemed so bizarre to me. I was like, what? I'm just meant to stop and wait for somebody who's a better runner than me to pull them up. And, and yeah, that was just really hard. And there was just a lot of, it, it didn't suit me anyway, really, ITU. And then going to non-draft, I was like, oh, this is lovely. Like, <laughs> you know, it's my own race. And it's just like, it's the best, you know, the fastest swim bike runner that does well. It's not, there's less tactics. There's less, you can save in one area because it's just the, you know, cognitive time that counts. Teen, you moved to LA. Um, and then, uh, you know, 2015 was also, I remember Oceanside 70.3. And who's the girl? I think it was like you had a, like a wet a, a, a race kit with no logos on there. Yeah. And you're off the front and you're leading in the bike until what, seven, eight miles of the run? Yeah. That was, yeah. That was, that was sort of the coming out party for, yeah. from my perspective. It's like, who is this girl? And she's kicking people's ass and she's just going for it. You weren't intimidated by those people at all. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. It was great. It was like, you know, I just got to do, and like I totally, you know, bonked at mile eight or whatever, but I still came, I think I came third or fourth. I can't remember. Um, but no, it was just great. I just loved like, 
I didn't, I felt like I didn't have any pressure as well. Like before with ITU, it's like, I found the swim stressful. It was like, phew, that's over. The bike's over, phew, okay. Like it's just, it's just a totally different mentality, which I just loved. So then 70.3 worlds, um, you get 11 70.3 worlds in Austria. Which and I was really injured before. Yeah. I, I'd run two, I think I'd run like two 30 minute straight runs before that. And I chewed chewing gum the whole time because I had an ITB issue. Um, and I was chewing chewing gum the whole time because it was distracting me from the like anxiety of like whether my ITV is going to be an issue. Uh, and I, my jaw was like, I couldn't move my jaw after the race, but um, yeah, it's, it's just funny to look back on those like really early days, which I was still kind of figuring things out, doing, doing things wrong, kind of going too hard and putting myself in a bit of a hole or an injury kind of state. So um, yeah. And then 2016 things kind of, Right. Yeah. Well, and the deal is, it's one thing to deal with pressure when you feel it's other people's pressure. It's another thing when you're racing 2016, the pressure is, I need to make enough money to pay my rent. I need to make <laughs> enough money, right, to get a car. But that's all on you, and that's okay, because it's, you know, it's, it's what you want to do. You've made that decision that either I'm going to make it here, or I'm going to go back and live in mom and dad's basement. So I, I better get some performances. It was a real motivator because every position you were like, that's, you know, X amount of dollars. Like that person, that, that wasn't a person to me. That was just like a figure like on their back. That, and I didn't even know like really like sponsorship bonuses existed. I just thought this is the prize money. This is great. Like, yeah. Um, and I was just racing my ass off and, you know, trying to make money. And doing so well, because you know, escaped from Alcatraz, St. George, uh, Beijing International, uh, Montreblanc, Santa Rosa. I mean, you were on a roll. You are yeah. like winning everything. And how did that change things in 2016 when you, when you win Worlds? Yeah, so going into Worlds, I was pitched as one of the five favorites. And I was like, I shouldn't be here. Like... I don't know what to say. I'm not one of the favorites. And like, even on the NBC interview, like they wanted it, they wanted me to say like, I'm going for the win, blah, 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 blah. And I just wouldn't. I was like, I want to swim, bike and run as fast as I can. And they were kind of like, God, Holly, you're going to give us something to work with. And I'm like, but that's the truth. Like, <laughs> I just didn't have, I still really didn't have that like expectation of myself because and I also didn't have anybody else's expectation which I look back on now and I'm like wow what a privileged position to be in when you're the underdog yeah when nobody knows right yeah so then you have a I think it was like November of 17 where you have the bike crash and you, you don't yeah. think that much of it but your foot your your ankle just like blows up and you still get on a plane, I think, and did you go to Island House and then went to Bahrain and, you know, if you're like it was third at Island House, I think you won Bahrain. Bahrain, yeah. Won Bahrain. And meanwhile, you, you know there's something wrong with your, with your ankle. Well, I did when I, I crashed on my bike and then had some issues. Like, like, I honestly, that night, I was fine during the day went to PT, normal, I'm like, yeah, just normal bruising. And 
that night it just went from zero to a hundred worst pain I've ever been in. And I was phoning my PT in tears. Like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think my foot's broken. And they're like, this is really odd. And I just like, like Sean, my boyfriend had to carry me into the bedroom. We packed it with ice. Like I couldn't, I didn't know whether to go any, I didn't know what to do. Um, so we're just like, okay, wait till the morning and then figure out. And I could kind of walk and, you know, and then it, and it was like, 10 days later, I raced Island House and it was fine, but it, like, it just didn't feel, but like in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Like right. I knew I was kind of mad. I was doing these weird exercises to just like, yeah, my foot's just behaving a little differently, but like I still could run normally, you know, everything was fine. And I really kind of forgot about it, but just this new kind of like this, this weird little quirk in my ankle foot. Um, and yeah, then it wasn't till Oceanside, which on the bike when I was driving out of the saddle and I just, my foot gave way and nearly hit the deck. And then it was when I was, when I, and I forgot about it again, you know, just like tightened my uh, shoe up. And then it was when I went to dismount that I again nearly hit the deck and thought, oh my God, my foot's it doesn't fit like there's something really wrong and I'm like limping through transition like oh my god what am I gonna do and and I somehow just got over it and ran a half marathon on a broken foot and on, on some of the hardest pavement there is that concrete in Oceanside <laughs> it's not blacktop that's concrete you're running on and I remember when you came across the finish line basically at that point the leg just gave out Oh, I couldn't put pressure on it there. And that's at that point I was like, ha ha ha, like, it'll be fine. I've had this before. I just need to sleep it off. I'll be fine. But it, you know, Sean had to carry me everywhere. I couldn't, I couldn't walk on it. I couldn't put any pressure on it. Um, and then even like for a couple of days, I was just such in denial still. Cause I'm like, oh, now I really pissed it off. Cause I run half marathon on it, but it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't. It was like black and blue. My PT was like, oh, can you just send me a photo of it? And he was like, you need to get that x-ray. So I'm like, no. <laughs> you, you, you knew. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't. I was hopping around everywhere. So was it a fracture? It was a clean fracture right down the middle of my navicular, which is the worst bone to break because it's just got such bad, like. Blood flow. Yeah, there's no blood flow to it. It's like, you know, this zone that just doesn't get any blood and the success rate of people coming back from it is just so low and then people have problems and whatever else. So yeah, it was, it was hard just getting through that initial period. Well, and you're somebody who obviously has been working out every day for years that's part of your identity. It's your insanity. And now what eight, you have to have surgery and it's what eight months of recovery where you don't know your career could be over. Yeah. So, so first there was a surgeon that was like, okay, six weeks, we'll cast this thing up and you're going to be good as new. I'm like, great. I'll take that option. And we're getting CT scans every two weeks. Nothing was happening. This thing isn't healing. And so I go and see another surgeon and this is now the surgeon, the doctor of doom, I call her, because she just gave me the most like morbid, you know, prognosis coming out saying, you know, you're not going to be, and I'm, I'm, I even recorded her. 
because it was just so, it was so bad that she was like, you're not going to come back from this. You know, your career's over. Like, and I'm like, can I even run again? They're like, oh, I'm not sure. Like it's, you know, it was just so, so bleak. I came out scream crying, <laughs> like my life was over. Um, and even at one point I was like, well, can I just try and run through this for another couple of years? And she's like, no, you can't. I'm like, oh, but I think I can. <laughs> um, and then I eventually got put into contact with this amazing surgeon that I ended up going with in Palo Alto, who's done a ton of these like specific um, fractures and like with all the like track and field, long distance runners. Um, and he was like very just to the point. He was like, yes, this is a horrible injury, but I am gonna like knock this out of the park. That's what he said on the phone. And, and you'll be okay, but it's gonna be 16 weeks until you're running a step after surgery. And at that point I'm like, it's not a life sentence. Like I'll take that easy. Um, and yeah, it was just like, it was a long road of just being carted up for, you know, that long. Cause I'd already had six weeks of wasting time before that. Um, so yeah, but it was like, you know, it was my identity. It was my everything of being an athlete and training. And so I was, you know, reduced to putting a baggie on my cast and just swimming every day with a pool boy between my legs and it was just totally different and a lot of mental games. What, what was the lowest point? Um, probably wiping out on my crutches at the swimming pool floor and <laughs> getting up sobbing. <laughs> and getting in a mood when all the little old ladies at the pool were telling me their horror stories of their broken bones. And I was just like, you know, and I just felt like it was so bleak, like everything, it was just, yeah. So I just wish, I wish I like, I knew what I knew now then. And you just never do. Like no. you're, oh, I wouldn't have stressed out so much about it if, you know, I knew I was gonna be fine. When did you know that you're gonna be fine? When did you, because I'm sure you were very tentative when you first were told you could run again. I'm sure you were like, oh my God, I, 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 I better find some grass to run on. I better, you're, you're, yeah. you're, this is, you can't break it again. You break it again, you're done. The fear is so real for so long. It's, it's only, you only realize you're, you're truly fixed when you lose the fear. And like, for, so my coach was really good. My coach, um, he made me wear these like bone loading devices on my feet. So, and they look like timing chips on around each of my ankles. I hated wearing them because they dig into your bones. It's horrible, but it really, and I had to wear them for like months kind of coming back. But like, I was never allowed to progress until I was even. So like, I wasn't favoring my, so it just like stopped any like um, compensation injuries mm. and everything. And, um, and even though I hated it at the time, it, like, I think it just, it really helped that I just never got ahead of myself and never pushed it too much. And, um, and at that point I'd just been through so much that you're not messing around with it. You're not going to risk putting yourself back. Um, and then, you know, I raced my first race in December, but even then I was still petrified. Yeah. I was petrified of running a half marathon on it. 
because I even though I knew I could and I was you know doing all the training you still you still have that fear like oh I'm going to be running barefoot to my bike I'm going to be running barefoot you know anything in transition you're so petrified so when did you feel you were back when did you was there one race where you felt like okay because it, you need to get to a point where you're not thinking the ankle, where you're actually thinking about that person you're racing, right? Where, where racing is coming in rather than I'm hoping my foot stays together. I don't actually know when it was. I think it's funny, like whenever you have a little niggle or anything that you're conscious of, there's suddenly a point that someone says, oh, how's your you know, Achilles or whatever it is? And you go, oh, yeah, I can't even remember when that stops. Like it just... It's not, it's just not a weight in your head anymore. And you realize like, oh my gosh, I'm over it. Like I'm over the fear of it. And, but I, I can't really remember when it was, but it was probably, cause I raced Dubai that year. And definitely by then I was, I was definitely over it. Yeah. So you go to Nice, right? 70.3 is where you won your world championship, uh, you know, uh, back in 16, you're, 2019 Nice hilly bike ride, uh, really fast run, and you're back there at the starting line at 70.3 Worlds. What did it mean to be back at the starting line, and then just to have the race? And it, when we were with you at that finish, mm-hmm. that was about as raw as it can be, right? You, you had gone through hell for the last two years, basically. And now you come in second at the 70.3 World Championships. And I bet you were more emotional there than you were when you won it back in 16. Yeah, I mean, I, I said when I kind of came back after the injury, it was like I got a new lease of life. Like, I'm just going to freaking enjoy this as much as I can because you don't know when it's going to be over. And, and I just... I think like a lot of the pressures that I let get to me in the previous season after I like got sponsors and everything and like I just kind of lost and it was just I just was so grateful I was so grateful to be back doing something that I just really loved just being in the mix and even though that course like I loved all the climbing but the descending was like oh hell this is not in my wheelhouse you know this is this is not what I'm good at. I'm just going to try and be the best I can be. And that's going to have to be good enough for me to be okay with it. That's all that matters, you know, and kind of hedging everything else of everyone else's expectations. And yeah, I was just like super proud of myself and like going into, into that race. That's all I was focusing on, like being proud of my effort. And that's all that I can ask for, not other people's expectations that I'm trying to fill and, and yeah, it was just, it was just really, it was emotional. Yeah. Well, especially cause you're like the first part of the run, you were taking time out of Daniela Reef. You got it down <laughs> to about, you got it down to about two minutes and you're like, Oh my God. I was about to play. That was it. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. But there was a, at the, at the end of the year, you were actually talking about doing a full Ironman this year. Something you had always said, no way. I finished a half and that's a, this, that seems stupid enough and double that distance makes absolutely no sense. I figured this was a, a good COVID thing for you because you, you don't have to do an Ironman now, right? <laughs> no, I want to. That's the thing. Like, really? I, I do not, not I'm like, let's be real. I don't, I don't relish the idea of like 
exercising like hard for nine something hours like I don't I honestly don't know I can't get my head around it and it's probably best that I don't but there's something so like I'm just so curious and I I love like you know I've been with Kona multiple times now with like Oakley and being part of it and I hate not being part of the race and I think every time I'm there I'm like oh if I could just check my bike in I would <laughs> like I just uh, yeah it's just it's just one of those things that is such it's such like a big part of the history of the sport and everything else and like it's such a crazy race at Kona at least that it's just you know the most things happen it's just ridiculous that you're just like huh I'd want to see how how I can measure up and what what would happen so how did all this dealing with the, the the foot? How did all this change you as an athlete and your your approach to your sport? I think it just it like really puts everything in pers to perspective, like everything that you kind of let have weight before the pressures and everything that you realize you're putting on yourself. It's not other people, and um, and it just like really grounded me in a way that you realize that you do have a finite period of time like you know some your career will end at some point it's very you know fragile thing and will i'm so lucky i never would have thought when i was like 15 16 that i would be actually having a career in something that i would do as a hobby that i'm more grateful and just like so appreciative of the experiences that that that's now like my it's like back to what I was when I was an underdog almost that that's the same like energy that I'm keeping and just being like wanting myself to yeah. be better and forgetting the noise that can really distract you. What, what do your brother and sister think of this, this craziness? Um, so my brother, we were like super competitive growing up and I, we've, <laughs> we've kind of had a like hard relationship since because like I'm always living the life he should have because he was the hotshot athlete. He was the one that was meant to go to the Olympics meant to, you know, I was the one that wasn't talented, wasn't. So we don't really have too much to do with like my sport together. Um, whereas my sister who would be the one bidding my medals, like she's like my biggest cheerleader. She's just, she is the best. She's like, at Nice, she printed all these holly faces and my whole family were going around with these like holly faces and they had like Team Lawrence t-shirts that she made and like yeah she makes like a big deal about it and like she doesn't like get triathlon but it's just amazing and like yeah I love that part of it. Okay we're gonna go to uh, some quickie answers quick yeah. questions quick answers rapid fire what's your go-to comfort food? Froyo. Favorite, uh, favorite racing memory? Malulabar. Crossing Malou the line. Like going for that tape, not clapping any hands, just being like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite book or podcast? Uh, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is great. I love him. Uh, like three hours, perfect bike ride material. Go, what's your go-to technology? Uh, Aura ring and my Garmin. 
tell me about the oral ring. What's that? Um, it tracks your sleep. So like every morning you're like, how did I do? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> are, are you normally a good sleeper or no? Yeah, but you just like, like you have no idea. You think, oh, I slept well, but it's just, and it like tracks your recovery, like your heart rate, ver ver variability, your body temperature and everything else that just, it's like your recovery kind right. of thing. What, what words do you like to hear from a coach? Uh, good job. I don't know. Because what, what is it about you that's helped you become a champion to overcome what you've had to overcome? Um, probably just the love of what I do, ultimately. Hey, Holly, thank you so much for taking time. So fun to catch up with you. And you know, are you one of the few pro triathletes living in LA? Yeah, I don't know why. No one else comes here. Everyone's in Boulder. They but the training, the training in Santa Monica, training up in the mountains there, and yeah. you've got Tower 26 to swim, you've got the ocean. Mm -hmm. I think people are missing it. I know. I think it's expensive, though. That's why people don't come. <laughs> Holly Lawrence has been our guest. Holly, you are the best. Thank you so much for taking time. Thanks so much, Bob. Holly Lawrence has been our guest. We're brought to you by the PTO, the Pro Triathletes Organization, by Amp Human Velofix, Norma Tech Form Goggles, You Can, our Challenged Athletes Foundation. We've now raised $123 million, sent out 30,000 grants for athletes in 103 different sports in all 50 states and 73 different countries. Holly Lawrence, again, has been our guest. You are the absolute best. Thank you, Holly.